0: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Sons of Saturday. It's a pleasure to have you joining us today, wherever you may be. Hope everyone had a nice weekend. We are uh, happy to have a great, fantastic interview presented by the Main Street Pharmacy and a little hokey haiku for you before we get into this uh, fantastic interview with Professor John Boyer. So a couple of weeks ago, I made up the haiku on the fly, it's late at night, and uh, I'm going to do the same thing again here. So let's let's give it a try. The Plaid Avenger, Geography of Wine Labs, Blacksburg's New Wine Spot. Okay, 575 Main Street Pharmacy. Get in there. The Main Street Pharmacy is the premier pharmacy of the New River Valley, one of the best pharmacies in all of the Commonwealth. Of Virginia, Jeremy has all of your COVID nineteen necessities. He will greet you with a smile beneath his mask, but as I've said before, you can see the smile in his eyes. Go into the Main Street Pharmacy, on Main Street, and their friendly staff will be able to help you with anything you need uh, during this time. And you gotta support sons of supporting local business, sons of supporting the Main Street Pharmacy. You know, don't don't go to the uh, the corporate, you know, big dog. Pharmacies go down your you know the mom and pop shop, Doctor Counts, supporting a hokey he supports hokey nation you got to support him, so uh, head on down there before we get into this. Sat down with Professor Boyer and we chat about a couple things, shine some light on uh, social media's impact on the news, and learned about his teaching career. Uh, you know, over the past 22 or so years, he's been instructing at Virginia Tech uh, what it's like to teach in 2020 uh, from a virtual standpoint, but also, uh, you know, the new generation of students standpoint, uh, kind of, you know, peel back the onion on a lot of that. So good stuff. And uh, it was really fun to highlight another super prominent member of the staff at Virginia Tech who has had a, a positive impact on so many students who have gone through, you know, Tens of thousands of students who have uh, had Professor John Boyer. So that was great. And then uh, a couple other quick notes here. Oh, side note. The end of the interview, little issue with the Zoom, little uh, spotty here and there, choppy with the Wi-Fi. But I think uh, overall you'll, you'll get the general idea. Uh, that was towards the very end. But uh, over the past week we had uh we had a great commitment from Dewan Lofton out of Fort Worth. His father actually played uh under Coach Fu. And uh he's a wide receiver, super talent, three-star athlete out of Fort Worth. Excited to have him. We will be uh, interviewing him Monday evening. We're going to be sitting down with Justin Robinson here uh this week as well and uh, also sitting down with David Hale from ESPN very soon. So that should be uh, very fun. Please submit your letters from the Lunch Pail, whether they uh, are on Instagram, on Twitter, if you want to email them to us, uh, DM them to us, uh, whichever way you prefer. Check out the website, sonsofsaturday.com. Sign up for the newsletter at the bottom. We will only send you one message a week, we promise. Maybe not even one a week, maybe one every other week. Uh, Still trying to figure that out. Bill has done a great job with the newsletter. And uh, this morning on the website, we highlighted the Fuller family in the top 50 Hokies of all time. Uh, Brett Smith did a great job on that piece. And then also have a piece coming out from Chris Himes, who is doing an analysis on the Virginia Tech expansion from a university standpoint. So a lot of good content coming up here. Um, You know, shout out to them. The Scribes of Saturday putting together incredible articles uh, for readers here. And then uh, the newsletter going out, and a couple of great interviews coming up. So without further ado, plug in and enjoy The Plat Avenger. All right, sons and daughters, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, thank you for joining us for another great episode of Sons of Saturday. And we have a very distinguished guest in the house uh, this evening. I was joking earlier. I was saying, Billy Ray, I'm freaking out right now. There's this guy on my computer screen. He's wearing plaid. He's got a beard and he's got these glasses and he's he's moving around and saying all these crazy things. And I'm just having these flashbacks, man. Who do we have tonight? Professor John Boyer. Professor Boyer, how the heck are you? It's great to have you on here. (laughs) Thank you both so much (laughs) for all of that
1: hokey love coming back. Going back, what would you say? Both say back all the way to 2014. Oh, my gosh. That's so long ago, said no one ever who's old. Come on, guys. That's six years. Thanks so much for having me and I'm doing a fabulously which I don't know should I feel guilty to say that in a COVID crisis pandemic American economic decline shutdown era Um, but no I'm doing great Uh, everything's great in
2: Blacksburg I mean you look you couldn't look like you're doing any better you got uh, the fern setting behind you you got you you know you popped your uh, top button you're sitting back with it what are you drinking right now?
1: Uh, little rose A little French rosé from Provence. Oh A fitting little little uh, flair on that one. <laughs> <Provence>. <laughs> <laughs> well, for any hokies that spent any amount of time in the summer months here in Blacksburg, you all well know the glory that is summer in Blacksburg, and so uh, as I told you all. Uh, before we got started here i'm located in this little cabin down on glade road and all i can see is mountains and trees and a glorious sunsets unfolding in front of me and i'm drinking some french rosé it's hard to say that life sucks
0: for me right now
2: <laughs> it doesn't get much better than that i can't i can't imagine that it gets much better than it is right now for you so gotta say i am jealous um but pat for those who
0: don't know give us the rundown on professor boyer please Yeah, so needs no introduction, but, uh, you know, we'll give a little introduction. So (laughs) Professor Boyer started at Virginia Tech in 1998, began instructing at Tech, and is a Hokie grad. And Professor Boyer won the Students' Choice Award for Faculty Member of the Year in 2004, 5, 6, 7, 8. I feel like LeBron James listening out on it. Not one, not two, not three. (laughs) Michael Jordan. Oh, okay. (laughs) 9, 10, 11. He is the Platt Avenger. He's written the Platt Avenger textbooks. You see him all over YouTube. Uh, He's an instructor, uh, has instructed a few courses at Virginia Tech, including World Regions, Geography of Wine, Geography of East Asia, and Geography of of the Middle East. So that's just kind of the uh, the spark notes, the cliff notes here, but uh, it's it's fantastic to have you on. So wanna know, like it's quarantine, life is different. What have you been doing since, you know, March 12th or whenever the country turned upside down? Um, I've been working
1: harder than ever in my freaking life. I, I keep searching for these folks who are sitting around bored quarantine looking for novel things to do because I'm like, damn it, I am tired. We have been working so hard. I mean, we've been going overtime to try to beef up the classes. Uh, We were already online for classes. So it was interesting that you all said that you took geography of wine online back in 2016. That might have been the first year I converted to fully online for wine. And I might have converted to fully online for world regions 2014, 2015. So when you guys took the course uh, in 2014, was it live or online?
2: It was a uh, uh, mine was online, and I think it was. I think you mentioned it was like the first time that you were doing it. You, you said go. you were away at sea or or something like that.
1: Oh yeah, I was on a boat going around the world for that
2: semester. I you just have a tough tough life for you, huh?
1: Oh uh, yeah. Well, I mean, there's a lot of wine, and somebody's got to drink it. Um, That's so a great way to look at it. We're all challenged with our own personal, you know, bars. Uh pun intended, personal <laughs> bar, which we have one now. Uh, but yeah, the we've. <laughs> We've been working over time, trying to not just reduce the courses uh, for an online era, because we were already online. But strangely enough, even before this whole crisis thing occurred, I was already on an avenue to do a bunch of new novel projects, which I knew were gonna be the future. And lo and behold, the pandemic crisis has made them even more relevant than I could have predicted. Uh, And so I'm gonna go two different directions really quickly for you here. I already knew that I wanted to take the World Regions course. For anybody that's tuning into this that knows me at all, you probably took World Regions. Anybody that's tuning into this and doesn't know me, just turn off. You're, you're not going to understand any of this. And you're going to be like, who is this loudmouth idiot and why is tech paying him money? So I have taught World Regions for 22 years. And it's a, I like the class. I have I've always had fun with the class, which is why I think students have fun with the class. And for those uninformed, it's a brief survey of the entire planet in one semester, which always was a gigantic joke. I mean, you can't cover the whole world in three and a half months. So I just always had a good time doing it and, and led the class wherever that student group at the time wanted to go. So a lot of people said they wanna learn about Russia. We talk about Russia. Few More people said they wanna learn about China. I talk about China. Uh, and over the years and increasingly in the modern era, I thought, you know, I should take this one course about the entire world that's just three credits and break it into like 15, 16, or 20 individual mini one credit courses about each part of the world. So, I've actually been working behind the scenes to create a one credit intro to Russia class and a one credit intro to Central Asia class and a one credit intro to Mexico, intro to modern Latin America class. So, I've been kind of been doing that uh, and now that's even more relevant than ever that I should be doing that stuff since the whole world is going online. We were kind of ahead of the curve, but I want to create all this new content because more students have always wanted more of the content we've been creating. And now the whole world is going online. So there's more demand than ever before. And, uh, and not still, amazingly, here uh, in the 21st century, most Americans still don't know diddly squat about what the hell's going on in the rest of the world. And uh, I've always felt like that's been really pertinent, relevant, needed information. And I want to take this one credit, mo- I call it the modular approach. Instead of teaching one class about the world, I'm going to modulate it into small little sections that you can take. Even as a graduated student alumni, I'm like, nope, I put all my stuff online. I want all you folks, whether you're in uh, 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 college right now, want to take it for credit or have graduated and just want to keep learning. I'm just going to put it all online for free and you can just do it. And so I was already doing that behind the scenes, uh, and not well, because the second thing that I've been doing was we started a wine bar (laughs) for my other class, geography of wine. I knew there was a latent demand for a really kind of upscale, cool hip wine focused place in Blacksburg. And so we started Blacksburg wine lab about two years ago, about the same time I started breaking up the world regions class into smaller modules. And, uh, you can interrupt me anytime if I'm already going too long on this, you know, diet. No, time. no, I'm I'm enjoying it. Well, every, you'll eventually ask me these questions, so I just kind of get it all out uh, <laughs> up front. And so uh, I've, I've been watching wine demand increase in America for the 22 years I've been teaching. I started teaching the wine class exactly 20 years ago. And the first time I taught that class uh, back in the year 2000... Now that's a long time ago, friends. Um, it is. I was four. Uh, the first time I taught that class, I had fourteen students sign up for it. And here I thought, well, I'm a am hip and cool, and it's a class on wine, man. Everybody's gonna want to sign up for this class. <laughs> it was like pulling teeth. I had to go. I was putting up flyers and crap, going, what? Well, seriously, nobody's gonna sign up for a, a college students aren't gonna sign up for a class on wine, and. Uh, I begged, pleaded I ended up getting 14 students half of which were all Virginia Tech cheerleaders I don't know why that is I think they all did it as a group project it was hilarious and uh, on day one of that class I remember 20 years ago I said well how many of you have experience with wine nobody and so they were intimidated by the subject of wine and I, I didn't realize that at the time. I was always a professional drinker. I was born with this skill. <laughs> so I, I didn't realize that, you know, that American society really was not a wine drinking society 20 years ago, it just wasn't. And uh, especially students, uh, you know, when you were a freshman, even when you graduated college, how much wine did you guys drink? Probably more than people did 20 years ago, but still wasn't your primary beverage. And so, you know, a couple decades to a couple hundred years ago in this country, we have never been a wine drinking society. But what's happened just in the last 20 years is that we have become a wine drinking society. Pretty much the timeline is when I started teaching this course up to the modern right this second today, more people are drinking more wine than ever before in America. And I've watched this in the growth of my course, but also in what's been happening with the evolution of drinking culture in America. So 14 students when I taught this class uh, 20 years ago and Last spring semester, which just wrapped up, we had 1,400 students wow. in the same course that both of you have taken uh, that was online. And that, that little stat just reflects American society. I mean, here you are, 21-year-olds taking a course on wine where you've been introduced to a commodity from around the planet that has this etiquette to it and this allure and this sense of class. And uh, that's where American society has gone i give you that whole backstory because that's why I started this bar. I thought, man, I have all these students here, students at Virginia Tech. I've been here 30 years, and they're drinking better than ever before. They're eating better than ever before. American society is eating and drinking better than ever before. We have all these educated, overpaid people at Virginia Tech who are eating and drinking better than ever before, uh, and they have no place to go because, as you all know from experience, we're a college town, so it's college mm-hmm. bars. And I said, well, I think there's a place for, there, there is a demand for a place that people can hang out and drink and eat more refined things. Uh, that's wine focused, but we also focus on, you know, high-end cheeses and charcuteries and specialty dishes. And lo and behold, when we opened the doors just under two years ago, uh, we've been going gangbusters. And I have been absolutely pleasantly shocked that not only did we get, you know, the older folks, my age and older, people that really like wine, and the richer folks that, you know, are not going to go down to Tots and hang out, (laughs) uh, but we've had this great mix of students as well. So, I have said time and time again that I didn't really open a wine bar in Blacksburg, Virginia. I opened up a wine-focused community center
0: Mm-hmm. Because
1: uh, unlike any other place in town, we get everybody from all walks of life and social groupings and everybody kind of does their thing and hangs out. And I've, it's one of my proudest achievements.
2: <laughs> I got I to gotta say, so on, on that subject, um, since you brought it up, I mean, 223 Gilbert Street in Blacksburg, if you're unaware, uh, I don't know how you'd be unaware, but if you're unaware... What I love is I visited this – it opened up after I had, I had left. I was getting, uh, getting lunch with my former academic advisor, and I was like, what the hell? Let's go to the wine lab. I've never seen it. Um, and the only experience I had ever had is I went to Asheville, North Carolina, which is like one of my favorite places in the universe. And they had wine. It's a fantastic place. They had wine on tap. And then I walk in, and you had wine on tap. And I was like oh, – I was so optimistic because I was like, if I were a student – I don't know if I could afford to go to a wine lab, but then I go and it's $14 flights. You have fantastic food, uh, $55 for a three pack of Pinot. I mean, it's just, it's, it's very interesting because like you said, students are drinking wine and, and enjoying that kind of thing to do, uh, more so now than ever, but you make it very affordable and cool. Uh, and it's very different than just opening, you know, another bar, and you're competing. You're not really competing with the sharkies, competing with the tots. Oops. You're in your own, you're in your own lane, and I think that's what's so unique about it. And um, I, I'm a huge fan. So um, well, thank you, sir. For sure, I'm a huge, <laughs> I'm a huge fan. But on a, uh, on your teaching style, this is this is something I was far enough to ask you. So bear with me; it's a little bit of a long winded question.
1: There you go. I need I, a break. I've been talking all the time. <laughs>
2: So I had, I had crazy ADHD growing up, and I, could, I couldn't sleep. So my mom thought, he can't sleep. Let's just fill his brain with history stuff. So she bought these discs by, by Jim Weiss, and it was basically like these history CDs. And I would listen to them until 2 or 3 in the morning. She thought it would make me bored, by, but I actually like really got, in, got into history. <laughs> and um, I really got into history and really enjoyed it, and it was a combination of that, and I used to watch – Uh, military films with my grandfather and documentaries and still to this day love history. But over the course of like grade school and high school, I struggled with the class and I came to dislike history because the teaching styles were so vanilla. You know, it's the dates, it's the names, it's the laws, it's memorization, it's note cards. There was no energy. And taking your class, even though it's in an online setting, you were still able to bring color to these events, drive interest, and kind of bring back that excitement about the topic. I'm curious how you developed that style and how you've refined it. Because I took your class the first, you said, two years that you were doing it online. I'm curious how you refined that style and how you looked at teaching to create that uh, environment for a student to want to learn behind a computer screen.
1: Well, I wish I had a good answer for you, but it's all been dumb luck. I don't believe you. (laughs) Well, I, <laughs> I fell into um, teaching. It, I, I'm not specifically trained for it. Most college professors aren't, by the way, uh, which may is going to change in the future. But right this second, I mean, some of the best and some of the worst professors you've ever had at Virginia Tech or whatever college you went to, They none of us were chose a career in teaching. You have to remember, everybody in academia is there because they're focused on their topic of choice and in american academia especially it's very the way it's evolved in the last 100 200 years is that you not just choose a a branch uh your department your specialty your major uh but you sub-specialize and sub-specialize and sub-specialize so history is always a great one because There are no teachers in history that are taught to teach about the Middle East, per se, or even American history. They got their PhDs doing some bizarre sub, 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 sub category of something that no one's ever even heard of before. And to get a PhD, you focus on that for years. You make it your career to study the movements of the tree, three tree toed sloths movements within five feet of a bamboo tree in Paraguay. And, and, you know, you (laughs) You do so much of that, that then when you graduate, you get your PhD, and if you stay in academia and become a teacher, how has that prepared you to teach? I mean, you can teach the three-toed tree sloths uh, in Paraguay, but subspecialty is the way that this whole state has evolved, and so none of us were really, have been adequately prepared to teach tons and tons of people to transmit a message. So, I, I, I'm not being flippant when I say this because, obviously, there's a lot of great teachers at Virginia Tech and other universities, and uh, there are a lot of bad ones. Uh, the bad teachers aren't bad people. They just are probably really good researchers. Uh, uh, academia is this weird arena where you're supposed to be an expert on your subspecialty, an expert writer, and an expert teacher. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Uh, in any other business, that's three jobs. That's not one, that's three jobs. But in academia, it's like, nope, you do all those things and you do them great. And it's like, man, I ain't that good. Uh, I was a mediocre researcher at best, but then I just got invited to teach when I was finishing up some master's work. We just had a position come open in our department. We were a really small department that time. I think it was only six or seven faculty, probably on the chopping block, honestly, for budgetary cuts. And somebody went on sabbatical and they're like, hey kid, can you teach a class? It's an intro level class called World Regents. So I'm like, oh yeah, I took that class five years ago. That was an easy class. How much money is in it? $3,000. Hell yeah, $3,000. That's a hell lot of money. I'll teach <laughs> that class. Uh, I, again, I'm not making fun of people who teach for a living and teach well, but that's how I got into it. And some of us are just good at it. And I was a much better purveyor of information than I was a collector of information, if that makes sense. And I've actually talked to people because I've done this long enough that I know all the kind of great professors at Virginia Tech. We, you know, bump into each other quite frequently. And in my declining years, I think about these things critically. And at a certain sense, some of the teachers better than me, uh, we, we chat about these things. And most of us have come to the conclusion that it kind of is an innate skill. Uh, that's not to say that you can't get better at it. If you try really hard, you can get better at anything. Uh, however, one does need to recognize that you can really love basketball and want to play basketball, but no matter how much you practice, you may not make it to the NBA. I mean, I see, I'm pulling the sports analogies back, all right? There, there's a certain, it's a combination of innate skill and work ethic that will lead you to greatness in any field. And teaching should be thought about more as a sport than it is something you can just straight up just learn how, how to do. And anybody can be great at it if you work hard enough. It's like, that's not true in sports. And it's actually not true in teaching either. You can be a much better teacher if you work hard at it. But to do uh, the things that the great teachers do and I'm not counting myself amongst them by the way but do, there are certain people that can speak in a certain way and you just remember what they say and you're just like I just get it. They they can communicate in a fashion that speaks to you at a deeper level and that's really hard to teach. I mean it's hard to teach everyone how to do that. If that was a teachable thing then every teacher you ever had would be great,
2: right? I, 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 mean, I think you put it in such a perfect way is I know this isn't the that's word. That's
1: because I'm a great teacher. See? <laughs> that's what I'm
2: saying. I was I, <laughs> I the word that's like sticking out of my head is is performing, which isn't really what I'm looking for, but you're taking a subject matter. History history's not boring on it um if it's taught the correct way, but oh if God, it if there's perf- right. yeah, if there's performance around it and and you pa- you package it correctly and you are a good storyteller, which essentially yep. history is, People will be engaged again if if it's all about what year did this happen, who did it, why did they do it? Like, well, the why they do it is the really the root of everything, instead of just the name and the date. Um, and I think that's that's really what uh, what shines through.
1: Well, obviously, history is uh, you know your kind of specialty that you that really inflames your passion. But a, a great a great communicator. We don't even have to say teacher. A great yes. communicator, yeah. but all teaching is communication. But a great communicator can make any topic awesome and interesting to people and that's I don't know about difference. calculus yeah that's a different mean, three-toed tree sloths in Paraguay it could be fascinating if somebody was <laughs> if somebody was a good communicator I'm, like, I'm enraptured what does the sloth do next I mean you, you've seen these people and they're the ones you remember you would probably remember a teacher in grade school that stands out in your head why do you remember certain teachers and forget most and it's true in grade school and kindergarten. It's true all the way up through university. So there is a certain skill set to it, partly innate, uh, it can be improved upon. And, I, and like anything else, including and especially sports, uh, I got really good at it because I flexed that muscle. And, you know, even thinking, if you think in certain ways and you practice thinking and you use your brain, it's a muscle too. And so, to get good at teaching, you got to do it and you got to do a lot of it. And so, I kind of got thrown into the deep end of the pool accidentally. I I was like, yeah, sure, I'll teach a class. (laughs) Uh, And then the class, I apparently, I was decent at it. And so, the class grew and then it grew more. And within three years, I was teaching in McBride 100. Everybody remembers McBride 100, right? Uh, (laughs) Our favorite. Yeah, of course. Seats 550. So I went from a class, class size of 50 to 550 within three years. And that was really being kicked into the deep end of the pool. And you just work at it. You just work and you work and you work and you do it a lot. And again, this is true of everything you do in life. If you do it a lot and you keep improving on your skill set, that's how you get good. So you guys, you youngsters who took my class in twenty fourteen, you you almost had two full decades of me, you know, basically practicing to go to the
0: NBA. So (laughs) time reps. So you get thrown into the deep end. This is, you know, the late 1990s. They yep. say we're, we're not even putting the swimmies on. We're throwing it into the deep end, and that was that was John Boyer. That was before Professor John Boyer. What was John Boyer's roadmap actually looking like before someone in the department stuck their hand out and said, "Hey, can you help us out? We need we need an instructor for this class."
1: My roadmap back then is exactly the one I have in front of me now. It's a big blank. Piece of paper <laughs> with a compass on it. It says north. So uh, yeah, I've never had a a regimented game plan. I know it sounds terrible. I I wish I could tell everybody. No, I knew exactly what I was going to do, and I did these exact steps. Uh, I don't know who that works for. I, I'm sure there are people out there that know their whole. Uh, life that they've got mapped out for them you know on when they're high school seniors but you know I've done high school commencement speeches and and talked to I don't know 100,000 students in the course of 20 years and I try to get people to relax a little bit more it's life relax you don't know where it's going to be you don't know where you're going to be Two to tell
0: five you, years. I'm re-
2: I'm relaxed not only hearing hearing you speak, but you got the beautiful birds chirping in the background. I don't know, I don't know, uh, but uh, it's, it's it is making me miss Blacksburg, I've been, um, I'm literally between the ferns here. Right now.
0: Uh,
2: <laughs> one thing uh, that I noticed that stood out um, came across your or was checking out your Twitter. The first little blurb in your Twitter bio is "global fighter for truth," and this is like this this is my one of my biggest gripes about um you know growing up now it's 2020 oh it's there there are more resources and information available ever in history so you would yes. say oh like everybody's going to be more informed than nope. anyone ever has been in the history of life and somehow uh getting accurate information is basically impossible at this yes, point correct how can someone or how do you, when you uh, try to objectively look at current events or objectively look at something that's happening, where do you find or what places do you go to to find unbiased opinions or just straight up facts? Like we're dealing with it with coronavirus now. Like, I don't know what is real information, whether it be from one side of the table, or the other side of the table. It's so hard to kind of understand what's going on. It's, it's, and it's horrifying at this point.
1: Yeah, and this is one of the reasons why it's so great to be an old person right now. <laughs> I know that sounds silly because everybody wants to be young and everybody, and I'm like, nah, hell no. I, I'm so glad that I've been born at a certain time in a certain place that I get to see the transition between the old world and the new modern world. Because being from the old, uh, not technological world, I have my feet more planted in reality. And I do feel... Um, badly for young people because of what you just described. It's like, I've got um, a 17-year-old son and all of him and all of his friends are basically, I call them 21st century nihilist. I mean, they're just all like, everything's over. <laughs> the world's dead. There is no truth. You know, like, like how, how does somebody that young get to that point of despondency? Um, and it's it, it really is such a more complex uh, and just inundated with information world that it makes you hearken back to being ignorant at some level. Uh, And the answer to your question is, how do I do it? Well, because I'm grounded in the old world, uh, much like I was talking about with my experience in teaching and being experienced and doing stuff for a long time, that's how you gain credibility in any field you're doing. You got to build your body of work. I tell uh, students who are graduating this all the time like how do I you know set myself up for uh, the greatest success in life especially as a college student where more and more people are going to college and college degrees are therefore getting less and less valuable. Sorry, sorry to say that to everybody but you know not everyone went to college 50 years ago. Now everybody goes to college so the degree itself is becoming diluted in society, because if everybody has the same thing, then what's that thing worth? And I'm going to bring this all back, trust me. It's all about building a body of work, being a professional that keeps working, that, that creates stuff, like you guys are creating podcasts. The, you have a body of work behind you, and that's much more meaningful in today's world than a degree, which a million other people have. Or I went to high school. Everybody went to high school. What's what's high school going? Uh, What's going to high school worth in today's world? Everybody's done it. So build your personal body of work. Create stuff, document stuff that you personally have done that's unique to your life experience. That's going to be the resumes of the future, by the way. Now, to bring it back to your question, that's how you should approach news. Uh, I only look at kind of – News sources that have been around the block for a while and they've been doing this for a long time. They've built their body of work and their reputation with me personally. I know what they're saying is true or at least I understand the nuances of their particular political bent because I've been following them for a long time and I can go back and look at everything they've written for the last hundred years. Those are the news sources that you can trust. Now, does that mean they tell 100% of the truth? No, they're reporting on things. And you need to understand that all newspapers, radio shows, whatever is the digital world, podcast, they get paid by somebody. And so they, by default, are going to have to have some sort of political slant Uh, that they're going to have to cater to at least a little bit. Some newspapers are center-right. Some newspapers are center-left. Some radio shows are hard, extreme-right. Some radio shows are hard, extreme-left. So to be an informed consumer of information in the 21st century, you need to find some sources that have a reputation, that have a body of work that you can go back and verify that they've been doing this for a while, and that you understand their political bent. What what dog do they have in this fight? You know, you can actually uh, listen to Rush Limbaugh or some left-wing Mother Jones newspaper. You can read their articles. You can gain knowledge from these things as long as you understand where they're coming from. They may have something important to say, even if it's, you know, covered in their particular political diatribe you can still gain things from that but you have to understand where they're coming from and only pay attention to people that have a body of work. I just I can't say enough about a body of work for people going to college now and even beyond it's stop trying to check off boxes that other people have created. Oh, I went to high school, I went to college, I joined this fraternity, I did that. I'm checking off boxes because that's somehow making me a better person. Forget about the boxes. This is the 21st century build something for yourself. Stake out your claim of what you want to do in life and do things that other people can see. It's it's the same analogy that I'm saying with newspapers or news sources. Do what you want to do in life. I'm not limiting you. Do whatever the hell you want to do in life, but do a lot of it and build a body of work so people can see what you're all about. Because I would sooner hire a million people, I say, I'd sooner hire one person they graduated college that said, well, I just did okay in classes and I got a C average but I, you know, I started a a charitable company where we raised $20,000 for this and I did this and I helped these people do this and I I created 13 art pieces and that is worth its weight in gold. Like I give a crap about your GPA if you're somebody that's actually done stuff in life and that's the way that I look at news sources too. What have you
2: done? You Don't know. float the mainstream. I, I, that is, that is an unbelievably in, in, insightful answer, and, and I I We're really saying- appreciate that. And I think one more thing: if you have your bingo boards out, your Sons of Saturday bingo boards, you can put your uh, your piece on the Bill Simmons reference. Bill <laughs> Simmons Bill Simmons said in one of his podcasts, he says Twitter is unbelievably entertaining, and one of my favorite things that I own. Sure. But if there is a draft of the most toxic things that have come to society in terms of just news, and that's not the only subject, Twitter is a first-round draft pick. Because sure. people, because a lot of people, and I was guilty of it for a very long time, will hear about some news, and I'm like, oh, let me see what Twitter has to say about it. And then I'm formulating my opinion on it. Instead of reading facts and reading information about it, I'm seeing what somebody that I like or that I listen to says about it and then take that as Bible and apply that as my opinion on, a, on an event. Um, and uh, it's just wrong to do that.
1: Yeah, you can broaden it up. You shouldn't even pick on yourself. It's pretty much the modern world, modern America for sure. Everybody keeps saying, wow, America's so polarized now. We're so polarized. Everybody's in different camps and it's so hardcore. And the reality is, it's always been that way. But what's different is social media. And it's probably because I'm old, but I'm not a fan of the Twitter stuff either. Uh, and I'm torn. I'm, I'm literally torn because Facebook and Twitter and blah, 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 fill in the blanks, whatever it is. It, uh, it's very uh, democratizing. You can look at it in a positive light and say, everyone in our society has a voice now. Isn't this great? And if you told me that 20 years ago, I'd have been like, hell yeah, that's great if everyone has a voice. But now 20 years later, I'm like hell no, I don't want to, we don't need to hear from 90% of these humans. What are we talking about? Because that's the whole thing about everyone having a voice and democracy and everybody's vote counting is that we, it sounds like a great thing on paper and it is actually, it is a great thing on paper, but we don't account for all the voices we don't want to hear. (laughs) And we don't account for the voices that are very toxic and bad. So when you say everyone has a voice and everyone has a vote, And that sounds great, but so do racists and so do Nazis. So we are in a very bizarre era that our ideology are are more liberal and don't, I'm not conservative just liberal, but everybody, democracy is a liberal ideology. Uh, People being free is a liberal ideology. And so our liberal ideologies that many of us have held dear, maybe for thousands of years of Empowering people, it's now being challenged by everybody having a voice. Everybody really having a voice because of modern technology, and I think that's what we're grappling with in the United States right now. So I, you know, to me, there's always been Democrats and Republicans. uh, Capital letter uh, Democrat, capital letter are Republicans, two political parties, but now people are. Uh, squirreling up into their foxholes of only paint because everyone has an opinion and everybody can see their opinion, everybody can express their opinion. People are more than ever before only listening to other people whose opinion they already agree with. So, and, and maybe that's enlightening to you younger folks, but the difference between the way you all consume media and understand even politics, just politics in the modern world in America, is that you can go hear any facts you want. And you're only going to hear facts that you like. And a whopping 20 years ago, 20, a whopping 20 years ago. Let me take it back to my childhood. 40 years ago, there were three television stations, three that you got your information from. And those three uh, television stations uh, that all had the same news hour, all at 6 p.m. is when the news came on in the old world. So it was focused. So three sources of news information besides uh, uh, newspapers and radio. Three times a day, 40 years ago in America, you could go to tune in to actually get live pictures and assessment of what was happening in the world. And all three of those stations were competing with each other to try to tell the best truth. They were competing with each other to try to make sure that their story was the best, was presented the best way, and was the most factual because if two of them reported something as factual and another one reported something that was completely wrong, that third one would get trashed. You would get trashed for reporting wrong events. And that's 40 years ago, and now you back it up into today, tonight. Everybody reports anything they want, and all of you can go to 10 million news sources, aka people's Twitter feeds, which isn't news, but it's hard to distinguish because it's it's written down and it's right there. And it looks like news. And somebody told me that aliens landed and took over Donald Trump's brain. But I saw it and 20,000 people liked it. So it must be news. You know, like, holy crap. All right. So I don't have a solution for this. None of us do. What we're in, you need to recognize we're in an a, a era of evolution in human society, in American society, but human society in general, where we're trying to reckon How do we deal with this huge inflow of fact, fiction, and personal opinion from seven and a half billion people simultaneously? And it's truly an evolution, and none of us. I'm smart enough to know that I don't know squat, uh, so none of us really know what's going to happen five or 10 or 20 or 50 years from now. And anybody that tells you definitively what's going to happen from five years ago, you can strike them from your Twitter feed right now because they're full of crap. I mean, it's just happening. The evolution is happening too quickly and there's too many factors. So it's almost impossible to say what's the future is going to look like, even the very near future. And that's why to me, it's even ever more important to try to back up and say, okay, this world is kind of chaotic in terms of presentation of news and fact and whatever else. Who can I rely on? I, I must be turning more conservative the older I get because I'm like, hey, you go back to the old ways. Who? The New York Times has been doing this for 120 years. I think they still are pretty credible. The BBC has been doing it for 100 years. They're pretty credible. So not that I'm not an old enough person. It's like all old things are better because I love the modern world. Uh, But if you want to try to cut through some of the fog, then look towards those entities and those people that have a track record of saying the truthiest thing they can, that have a track record of fact-checking themselves. That's, I mean, that's, one might think that's common sense, but you know, I'm at a certain age now that I get it. That both of you guys are probably 25. Yeah. So 25, you've, you know, more. your whole life has been lived in this era, and so you don't have your feet grounded in a past era like I do. And uh, I, I actually understood this um, uh, in 2000. I'm trying to think. 20 2010 when I was teaching world regions in uh, uh, 2010. And I was saying something that I probably said in lecture for 12, for 13 years where I'm like, well, well, you know, well, at this point in the Cold War, the Russians were doing this and that's why oh, the Soviets were doing this and this is why this and somebody raised their hand and they said, what's the Cold War? <laughs> and, and I actually had to stop and I'm like, ah, that's right. You are not alive during the Cold War. It, 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 you'll get to this point, both of you will. All you, all the listeners, will get to a point in life that something that you have taken for granted because it's your entire life's existence doesn't exist to a twenty-year-old because times have changed. And so, the Cold War was the thing for me that I'm like, oh, I should do better, and uh, and trying to identify these major shifts in in culture to under to be able to better teach the next generation. So, I started teaching a lot more like, hey, okay, instead of making this flippant comment about the Cold War, let me teach you what the Cold War is from the start so that you can better understand everything else I'm going to say after this. And that's what I'm saying about social media now that you guys, you guys are you guys are just old enough. You have your toe dipped in the old world. But, you know, students coming in as freshmen right now uh, in 2020 at Virginia Tech and a glorious fall pandemic 2020 at Virginia Tech will have no comprehension of a world without Twitter. It, the world without Twitter doesn't exist. And so I have to think critically of like, oh, crap. Okay, so these folks think in a certain way and they absorb data and information in certain ways that's that's challenging for me because I, I grew up in a different way of absorbing information and data.
2: This is the second time in this podcast that you've ref- that you've brought uh, Big Lebowski in my mind. You said nihilist, <laughs> and it's put the lights off, and then that whole uh, that whole spiel there took me back to when Walter Sobchak is telling uh, telling telling Donnie, ah, you're like a kid shut in the up, woods. Donnie. You've you've come along and you have no reference, you have no understanding of what came before. How are you to weigh in on this subject? So sorry, little anecdote there. Uh, my only my only retort to that
0: is shut up, Donnie. <laughs> <laughs> so um okay you mentioned a lot of things there how can you better teach this next generation that has not been grounded uh you talked about the evolution you talked about the future and then uh people who are grounded in the past or people who are grounded in a different way of life you have been grounded in teaching online courses and there's probably a lot of instructors at virginia tech who are not grounded in teaching online courses and doing that type of instruction and keeping everyone engaged and really looking forward to these courses. Now, have you had uh, instructors within the department or across Virginia Tech reach out to you and say, hey, Professor Boyer, what, what are your words of advice for teaching online, remote instructing? How can I do this and keep my people engaged? They're paying tuition and we need to get this knowledge into their heads. Um, uh, strangely enough, and this is, uh, I'm trying to
1: think about how to say this as delicately as possible. I'm one of those personalities and it's, it's completely not intentional, but I'm one of those personalities that either scares the hell out of other professors or they, I bring out some sort of uh, raging hatred because I don't get asked uh, to do a, uh, to, uh, for a lot of advice at Virginia Tech. And it's not, it's not just me. Um, I've actually talked to other professors and now we're talking about academia. The academy as a whole, is, it's a very bizarre beast uh, in the modern world in that there, there's a lot of territorialism in academia uh, over content, but over classes and over everything. There's a lot of bizarre, almost petty jealousies Uh, there's a lot of claim staking and and by the way, I love academia. I love it. I think it's one of the best things our species has come up with yet. So I'm not knocking academia, but it's, it's not as, um, how shall I say friendly and sharing and caring between people at a certain, at any university, as you, one might think there's lots of collaboration that happens, of course. But, uh, when you have wild cards like me that come into the game, (laughs) people are like, wow, well, hey, hey, uh, who, who threw the joker in the deck here? That's not how we play Texas Hold'em. So I, I, and by the way, I know this is the case in academia as a whole, not just Virginia Tech because I've talked to other professors and lots of folks say, oh yeah, I get invited to do talks way more at other universities than I do at my university. And that's definitely the case for me too. I've done talks at universities all over the world and I may have talked twice at Virginia tech. So there's that certain, uh, we don't like that one crazy guy that lives in our house. Uh, But other people are like, who's that crazy guy in that house over there? He can come visit us anytime as long as he goes home afterwards. So uh, it's like that crazy uncle. You like him at Thanksgiving, but you don't want him living with you. That's me in a nutshell. So the the answer to your question is I, I haven't been asked to do a lot, although in times past I have done talks around the planet. Um, I say around the planet, not that I'm bragging, but, man, I got flown to Singapore one time. I got flown to uh, Australia twice to do talks at universities. I'm like, this is the greatest gig ever. Um uh, but not a Virginia Tech. I didn't get, don't get invited to too many talks there. So there are people that know me per- personally who are like, dude, Boyer, what's up? How, how do you do this and how do you do that? It's like anything else. I pretty much just described your own work situations, right? It, it, wherever your job is, there's people that immediately yeah. hate you or immediately like you. So I've not been asked to do a whole lot during the COVID crisis. And I think it's partly because I've been doing this for a very long time. And I went online way early uh, than everybody else. I'm uh, way early. I mean, six or eight years ago, not like f- 30 years ago. But I, I held off from going online for a very long time because I was not a believer. Uh, I didn't. The technology when I started teaching 20 years ago, I, I'm sure there were plenty of people that were teaching online, but teaching really crappy courses online. The way that people taught online 20 years ago was like, oh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm ahead of the curve. I'm technologically savvy. I teach all online, but their courses were. Here, here's the syllabus. Read these three books and submit a paper. That's not teaching online. That's barely teaching. So I didn't think the technology was there. It certainly wasn't there for me. But as I got better at teaching and the world was evolving and student perception was evolving and student absorption of information and knowledge was evolving, and then the technology finally caught up, I started to dabble. Uh, back in 2012, 2013, 2014, I started dabbling. This is the same time that we actually started teaching in Burris Auditorium. That's why I was wondering what, what uh, year you all took my course. Uh, and if there's any listeners out there who took my course when we were in Burris Auditorium, holy crap, I should have retired after I taught in Burris Auditorium. That was the peak of my career. I should have retired like Michael Jordan and then went and played baseball somewhere else. Um, but we were teaching live to 3,000 people in Burris Auditorium for two or three years running. But it was, uh, I only bring that up not to brag, but because right as I started teaching the super big courses in Burris was right when the technology started to catch up. And so we, I remember, I remember the year that Twitter came out because we adopted it and we were doing a live Twitter feed during the class in Burris Auditorium. And uh, there some other things that came out at the same time, we're like, yeah, we're, yeah we'll use that. We, we'll, we'll start to dabble with these things. And we can do some pretty cool stuff that uh, facilitates and even uh, uh, makes the learning experience better. So we were dabbling with technologies. And then just like computers, things got better, faster, quicker. So you could record longer lectures and they would be compressed files. You could stream them. So as we started teaching super large courses in Burris, I started to dabble with recording lectures and after we did that for like two or three years I started to tell students okay well I can teach this class live here in Burris Auditorium which everybody loved and thought it was hilarious I said or I could record it uh what would you prefer oh everyone in class is like oh my god we love you Boyer! no live is great it's the greatest thing ever to be here in Burris and I said okay oh everybody says they still want it live but let's dabble um, I'm going to live stream while I lecture live in Burris and you can watch it in your dorm room. Uh, this is going to sound comical. This is eight years before COVID. We're like, yeah, well, let's stream this so you could stay at home just for fun. And, but what, what would you, what would you students like? Now everybody, 99% of people say, no, I want to see it live. Uh, 1% said I'd watch it streamed. By the end of the first semester we tried that 60% were watching it streamed and only 40% were in the classroom. And then the following semester, we had two thousand six hundred people in course, and I said, "Well, I'm going to record some lectures. You can come listen to me in Burris, or record it and you can watch it at your own pace." Ninety percent of people were watching it at home; only ten percent, only ten percent were coming. And I could have I polled people on day one of the course and said, "Would you prefer this to be recorded or live?" Everybody said live, and at the end of the semester, everybody was watching it recorded. And that it's funny how my life has mirrored our society because that's right to me when it started to turn and more and more people were starting to go online and more and more emphasis was being placed on dissemination of information via this and we just happened to be totally accidental. I'm not saying I'm that smart. I'm not. It was smart people around me who were saying you should experiment with this. I'm like yeah sure why not. So that's why we were already online because I understood the reality That while people will tell you, I want to see you live because it's better, if you give them an option, almost all of them will watch you record it. Almost all of them. There are those students that still say, no, I really do learn better when I'm in a live environment because it just is more electric and it's alive and I can ask questions. But the reality in today's world is the vast majority prefer to learn on their own time at their own pace and there's nothing wrong with that. It's great. So, you know, instead of me lecturing live in any classroom where you have to be here at 8 a.m. and watch me at 8 a.m. for 50 minutes, why? I can record that and you can watch it at 8 a.m. if you want or you can watch it at 8 p.m. You can watch it at 3 a.m. You can watch it on Wednesday or Saturday or Tuesday. You watch it on the 4th of July at 2 p.m. So, that's the world that we've migrated to. And I just decided to embrace it and be like, you know what, that's cool. And if people, instead of having one shot of listening to me talk about the Russian revolution and they were sick and they missed class or they didn't feel good or their girlfriend just dumped them so their head wasn't in the game for that live lecture, instead of focusing on this exact time frame, if I said, I'm just going to record it and you can watch it once and get it or watch it 20 times, everybody wants to do that and I actually believe in my heart they learn better that way because people tell me, oh, I've watched the lecture 20 times. I didn't get it the first five times, so i watched it again. I'm like, yeah, that's actually a superior model if you think about it. I mean, my end game is you're smarter at the end of this. And instead of saying, well, I'm going to be in a room at this certain time of day, you better get here to get smarter. I want to present you with everything and say, watch it a million times when it works best for you when you're the most alert and most interested and I feel like that probably makes you learn better. I don't have any scientific learn. evidence to corroborate this but I'll bet somebody does.
2: <laughs> you're letting people learn on their own terms. I there mean you it go. just makes a whole lot more sense. Um, yeah. yeah no it's going to be an interesting semester but again ahead of the curve so you're in a good position to uh, continue to teach effectively throughout this uh, this just difficult time but That brings us right along to our rapid fire section, which is brought to you by the Chesapeake Center for Complete Dentistry. If you go in, need some teeth bleaching, go in, let them know the sun sent you. Uh, And also, shout out to Caitlin Cranham, who passed her boards. Her first day was this Monday. So, shout out to the Cranham family. Cheers. 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 Yep. Yep. Um, So, here we go. So, rapid fire first thing that comes to your head for you rapid
1: fire for whiter teeth. Let's do this.
2: What is your top three historically accurate films?
1: <laughs> oh, oh my God! Why did you ask me that question? You know I've watched like ten million films. Uh, yeah, I, and you know I've used them for class too. Yeah. So uh, there's one out of Korea called Brotherhood of War. It's didn't have that in my uh, and fascinating. Uh, there's one out of China that actually brings people to tears of both genders called Aftershock. Uh, and be sure if you go look that up, it's Aftershock out of China from, uh, I can't remember what year, I want to say 2013. There, there's another film out of Chile, the same year called Aftershock. That's a zombie apocalypse after an earthquake film. So not that one. This is uh, the Beijing, <laughs> the, the China one is based on a couple of actual uh, historic uh, uh, earthquakes that occurred and they occurred roughly 20 years apart. And the whole film is about how China's entire country and culture has changed in those exact 20 years between real historic earthquakes. It's fascinating. It's a great read into Chinese society. Brotherhood of War is just a great war film. That's intense, but everything you see in there, any dates they suggest, any wars, any invasion of Chinese people over the border, all of it 100% historically accurate.
2: Wow. Those were not the three that, uh, those were not on my guest board. Oh, really? Uh, oh, no. you,
1: had, oh you, had, you already had a guest board for this. Uh, okay, give it to me. What'd you have on your guest uh, oh, board? Oh, no,
2: I'm just saying if I did have a guest board of 50, this <laughs> wouldn't have made the 50.
1: Well, uh, I, try to, I try to incorporate new film all the time, so. New what and film? foreign film. What's
0: that? New and foreign.
1: Yes. Uh, <laughs> well, what's the, um, you guys took the course, so what films did, did uh, you see in the course when you took it that
2: struck you as particularly resonant or that you remember? Oh, this is this is you I, I spent I spent my four years of college running into people. I can't remember what I had for breakfast this morning. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I asked I asked <laughs> I asked that, that question. Awesome. I ha I have uh I have my answer for these other ones. So uh, I follow this YouTube account called History Buffs. And what they basically Ooh. do is get on there and say how realistic a movie is and how unrealistic a movie Ooh, is. Oh, I got to how- follow that. Yeah, send me yeah. That it's moment. it's really, really good. Okay. Uh, and he always gets like super angry at uh, Apocalypto was one that he was just furious at. Pearl Harbor is another one. Oh, the no, 19, that's 2001. No. Yeah, so yeah. Do, you, do you have a bottom three films that are just completely historically inaccurate that you're just, you know, completely against?
1: Yeah, you got a couple of them right there. I mean, the lion's the lion's share of war films are pretty off base mm-hmm. when it comes to real history. So yeah, take your pick. Th- th- those are some pretty damn good ones you just pulled up. Mm-hmm. Apocalypto. I've been I've actually never watched it. I've been meaning to watch it because, as I said earlier, I'm going to restructure my whole courses and create a series of one credit modules that are mini courses, and I want to have a whole slew of films for each one for each region of the world i want i basically want to teach people like the history of mexico through film in you know, a one credit course after i lecture in crap but mm-hmm. um so apocalypto is one i've had on my list but i've heard enough other historians trash it that i'm like oh i probably have i haven't watched that one yet and i'm torn because i know it's not that
2: <laughs> historically <laughs> accurate <laughs> what about your favorite book Aside from your own, aside from any book that you've written, what is your favorite book? Is is there
1: another one? <laughs> <laughs> um, there's one. I, I, um, uh, there's a writer, and I believe he's a geographer, and I'm terrible with names and, and, and books, actually. But there's a book called Balkan Ghost. And I can't remember the name of the, the writer. I, I could Google it real quick, except I'm on the computer with you. He's a really good historian. I I think that I like his works so much. He's written a bunch of books, uh, including The Revenge of Geography is another title that I would look up by this guy. And I think his background is definitely history, but I think also geography. And he's quite good. If you like the way I teach, you would love all this guy's books because we both, and I might've learned partly my lecture style through reading his books. We, we both have a way of trying to present the whole picture. So you're a history buff. Uh, a lot of history, people get turned off by history that they can't connect to. They can't place it. So just like I was talking about with the three-toed trees loss in Paraguay, if you don't have some sort of tie in your own life experience or your brain to place a body of information, then it disappears, and i'm sure brain psychologists and you know brain biologists could would probably tell you in much more eloquent terms it's like yes you need ties you need hooks on information for it to be planted into your long term memory and the best writers and the best lecturers have a way of doing that and this guy has a really good way of Looking at a broad perspective of a place like the Balkan Peninsula, or he goes around the world and teaches about stuff, but like me, tries to place it in a really good context. So as soon as you start reading it, you're like, oh, "Okay, I kind of know this, and I kind of know that, and I kind of okay, I know where he's going with this now." Now it's cemented in. I've got my foundation, and, you, and then you read the book, and you kind of learn a lot. Robert Kaplan, Kaplan K A, like the test. Kaplan, Robert Kaplan. I think at the, is the buzzer. buzzer. Yeah, he's quite good, but. I, I got to be honest. I don't read a lot. I I mostly consume news. So to sit down and read a book is actually challenging for me. And it's got to be really well written and got to be in my perspective style for me to stay with it. And Kaplan's pretty good at it.
2: So my next question is, where does one get a plaid wrapped car? I've never seen one. I have not seen one since. Where does one get that? One does not simply
1: get a
0: plaid-wrapped car.
2: <laughs> One creates a plaid-wrapped car. <laughs> making your own box.
0: Following right. your own advice. There you go. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense.
1: Yeah. And then, no, I just uh, – this was uh, – we experimented with that car, and it's literally – hang on. It's right over
0: oh, – <laughs> Oh,
2: there it is. There it, it
1: is. Does it have a name? <laughs> No, it's just the, the plaid car. Some people call it the tissue box. Apparently, the way that
0: the tissue box. It, yeah. The shape. Is it yeah. is it a
1: Kia? Uh, or a it, Scion? It, Scion, yes. Scion. Scion. I, Scion, yeah. So, we just create, I created it. And it was back when the wrapping technology was kind of brand new. And so, they were mostly wrapping logos on the sides of mm-hmm. business cars. And I just happened to know a couple of guys I went to high school with somebody said, Oh, these guys are doing wrapping crap and doing anything you want. And I'm like, yeah. So I hit them up. We got, we drank a six pack of something. And I'm like, dude, if you guys ever done a whole car, and they're like, Oh, no, we haven't. We'd love to try a whole car. And I'm like, well, I ain't going to make it easy. <laughs> 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 Can you do it in plaid? And like, Oh man, that is super hard. Cause you have to make stuff line up. And so, yeah, they did it. Uh, and that car is probably the wrap on it. It's probably, I don't know, eight years old now. I never wash it. I don't do nothing to it. I've run that car into walls. Just, I love good cars. It's one of those cars I can't give up because we have too much experience together. Have you ever had a car like that yet? You're young. Oh, I yeah. do. But you might yeah, you have. Do. Yeah. I do. Oh,
0: Sometimes yeah. Sometimes
1: you form a relationship with a car and it's like, nope, me and this car are in it till one of us dies. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So we discussed the plaid part. What exactly are you avenging or what is to be avenged or is this an open-ended question?
1: No, absolutely not. In fact, I almost cringed uh, when you said you read my tagline on Twitter for Global uh, Fighter for Justice, because I wrote that when we, for the first uh, edition of the book that we wrote, which would have been, gosh, I don't know, what year is it now? It would have been like 2006, 2007, the first edition of The Plot Avengers World. And, you know, when I invented the character, I invented that tagline at the same time, so I didn't have anything to do with Twitter, and uh, it's it's quite specific. It's it's slightly arrogant, so I don't want anybody to think that I think too highly of myself. But the avenging part is avenging ignorance. That's my whole career. That's pretty much in in a nutshell. I and in today's world, it's even more pertinent. When I started teaching 20 years ago, you, so many people so clueless about. So, and in today's world, so misinformed about so much. So, the Platt Avengers mission is you know, we've got to fight against ignorance. We cannot have this. The basis of a functioning democracy is a literate electorate. It is the core. In fact, it's not the core because the core would mean it's part of the bigger foundation. It's the entire foundation. If you build a thousand story uh, uh, you know, building, skyscraper, your foundation has to be strong. And the foundation of a real functioning democracy is an educated electorate who knows what the hell is going on and can elect the proper people for the proper time. This is not a jab at modern politics. I would have said this exact same thing at any era of my life. It's just more pertinent now. <laughs> so <laughs> that is what the Plot Avenger is avenging international ignorance and injustice, and much injustice happens because of ignorance. I understood that early on in my life as well. So uh, we can talk about racism in America, a very hot topic in today's world. We can talk about wealth disparity in America, wealth disparity in the world, very pertinent topics. Uh, A lot of these things boil down to injustice. So I'm not going to get in a fight with anybody who's experts in any of these fields, but Injustice is simply, you know, too many people or or too few people gaining too much. Uh, We are striving for equality in a democracy. And so equality is justice. Everybody has a fair shake. Everybody is playing by the same rules. Uh, Everybody gets a shot at the goal. So to me, we have to keep striving to make all of us on the same page All of us have the same amount of knowledge. So all of us can better society and all of us have a shot at the goal. And if everybody had a shot at the goal, we wouldn't be talking about things like racial inequality and social inequality and wealth disparity. Everybody would be on the same playing field. And I'm pretty passionate about that. Uh, And so that's why I've been doing what I've been doing for as long as I can remember.
0: You know, I love that. I never, uh, I never really dug in or kind of inquired about where the name was drawn from. But I think that's uh, that's an incredible way to think about it: is avenging, avenging the correct information and avenging ignorance and making sure that people know what's going on. So letters okay. from the lunch pail, presented by Sharkies Blacksburg. Sharkies, it's where good friends go. Ah! Not a competitor. Which is, which is good. No, I, love, shark. I love, love Sharky's. I love every single business in Blacksburg.
1: I, I don't feel like anybody's competitors, not because I'm better than anybody. It's like, no, I like them all. And I intentionally built our business and our menu to not compete with anybody. We try to do everything. Everybody else isn't. So, love Sharkies, Love the seller. Love the pub. Love Tots. Who doesn't? Come on. Who doesn't?
0: Who, Who the heck doesn't?
1: What's wrong with you? Are you a communist?
0: Come on. <laughs> so speaking of Sharkies, this is uh this yeah. is a personal letter from the lunch pail. Favorite sharkies wing flavor? If you're going to sharkies and grabbing some wings on a Sunday, all you can eat buffet.
1: Um would it surprise you if I told you I don't do chicken? I don't want to offend anybody. Nothing
2: surprises me at this point. I don't <laughs> want to offend
1: anyone. <laughs> Uh, I'll tell you this and I'm not going to tell you this because you tell me their sauces. I'll tell you the best one. Hang on. Go ahead. Give me the, give me their sauce. Uh, I mean, mine's mine's Buffalo
0: ranch. Yeah. That sounds like an entirely reasonable thing to eat. <laughs> entirely all right, next time, next, next time we're in Blacksburg, we'll all sit down. We'll get a, uh, we'll get some long islands and we'll get a, a bucket of uh, a Buffalo ranch and we'll call it a day. First well, submission I, I didn't years. mean to diss Sharky's, just because I don't eat wings. Uh, no, but.
2: they got plenty of other options. They got burgers. Yeah. They got fries. You got sh- you got ball. salad
1: Mondays or something. You buy one, get one, and
0: it's like mm-hmm. Bogo yeah. Burger. Look at look at this. You could do our readoffs for us. Bogo Burger Monday <laughs> Trivia Bogo Tuesday. Bogo Burger
1: Monday. Bogo Burger Wednesday. Monday on on Sharky's back patio. Are you kidding me?
2: Doesn't get better than that. Does get not out. get better get, than that. Get the Sign hell out, out of up. town
1: if you don't like that.
0: First
2: first letter from the lunch pail. Kate okay. Smucker. How much wine have you been drinking in count in quarantine?
1: Exactly as I much as I was out of quarantine. There you go. <laughs> Which is to say quite a bit. So uh just so you know I have the um uh, heavy burden on my shoulders of not only teaching at Virginia Tech but running the wine bar I have to taste anywhere from fifty to hundred wines every week from distributors. And I take this business seriously. So. Serious job. Great, great, great <laughs> responsibility. Gotta have the best
0: on supply. That's right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I've got to taste through hundreds of wines every week to make sure that I get the two or three to you,
0: the client, that are the best. And if you believe that, I got a bridge in Brooklyn to sell you too. So <laughs> So, uh, Brooke Peterson says, how long have you been thinking about starting the Wine Lab? You kind of already gave us the background there. Yeah, but, but, yeah, but I'll add, uh, when did you kind of have the aha moment when it was like, okay, I've had this idea for a long time. Now, it's time to break ground. Let's, you know, lease out this property and stick our flag in the ground and start this business. Uh, it's funny because I rarely remember
1: things, um, but I remember the exact moment. It's because I was made fun of. So maybe it was a little bit a hit on my pride, but I've been talking about starting the bar in Blacksburg, the wine-focused community center for easily 10 years since I've seen the uptick in wine consumption in America. But also once I understood what a vibrant um, and diversified and civilized uh, clientele we have in Blacksburg that was being underserved, I kind of started picking this up a decade ago. But it was, I want to say almost exactly three years ago, my then 14-year-old son, I was sitting around chatting and I was probably complaining, saying, oh, we don't have any good place to go in Blacksburg. And yeah, we've been talking about doing this bar for like 10 years. Yeah, the clientele is there. Yeah, people drink more wine. And man, I wish we had, I wish we could just go to this bar right now. And my 14-year-old son said, dad, why don't you just shut up and do it? And I was like, "You little bastard! You are right. I've been I'm talking gonna do about it. this for way too long." Challenge accepted. And yeah, that was the actual, that was the actual moment. That was it. And I'm like, "Okay, you're right. You're right. I need to stop talking and start chalking." You're playing pool. Within two months of my son challenging me, we had done a uh, a party for potential investors and raised two hundred thousand dollars and we're already scouting out a site for the bar
2: boom there you go
1: sometimes you just need someone to tell you shut up
2: and do it and do it and do just it and do you it. did it
1: oh i was just gonna say i always want to impart this to students as well no matter what your age is it's okay to fail just go do it If mm-hmm. you start a business venture and it fails they don't shoot you at the end I mean, you, you just go on to the next thing yep whether you're an artist or a business person or whatever just go do it it's america for god's sakes so you fail you go to the next thing
2: no is better than i don't know you always want to find oh, out yeah. if it works or if it doesn't work what uh what is the craziest plaid thing that you own aside from the car the canoe. you haven't you haven't seen the plaid
0: canoe canoe. <laughs> a plaid
2: canoe.
1: you create it <laughs> we plat we platted a canoe yeah
2: <laughs> wow i'll send
1: you i'll send you a picture in fact i've got a picture of the canoe on top of the car lots of people do because i please routinely please. just put the canoe it's like a 15 foot canoe it dwarfs the car <laughs> and so we did that a couple of years ago i just oh said goodness. well could we do it? Can you plaid it? I went back to the same guys that did the car. And I'm like, can you do a canoe? And they're like, Jesus, boy. All right, we'll try. What's
2: next? Are <laughs> you going to plaid your
1: house? Uh, it's feasible, although that's not <laughs> my style for architecture. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what we could plaid next. We can think of something fun. I actually have kind of gotten away from the, the plaid Avenger. Not gotten away from it, but, you know, things run its course and you – you'll find this the older you get to that you do stuff for a while it's interesting but then you go on to something else. Right. So I've been doing the plaid the books for we're on the 10th edition right now so I want to say for 14, 13, 14, 15 years when we started that and it's been great fun and I like doing stuff like that just because it's innovative and fun and it makes people smile and uh, I what else is life about? I mean, I just like to have fun and make other people smile and hopefully teach them stuff and learn stuff and make their life. I want to help improve people's lives. That's that's my mission. It's, to me, one of the great things about human existence is how can you make other people better? How can you improve other people's lives? Because at the end of the day, that's what you're going to get remembered for. Not even remembered, but that's your legacy just like I was talking about earlier about building a body of work, my body of work is improving other people's lives. And there's a reason you guys hit me up to do this podcast because something in your brain says this guy is worth remembering and we want to hear more about what he's got to say. And what better legacy could I leave when I check out, which could be at any moment.
2: Our next Lunch Pail letter is from New Jersey Hokie 03. And this is not a question, but this will uh, bring it back all into perspective for
0: you.
2: Mr. Boyer was my professor. In the semester of nine eleven. I'll never forget his class and the way his words comfort all of us. Truly remarkable, and I can't thank him enough for it. Um, wow. so that is from New Jersey Hokie 2003. Wow. Well, I have no
1: rebuttal besides I can't be given any
2: higher praise. As you look back so on you. as you look back on your time teaching, um, what are some of the crazy times that you do remember like the craziest days of having to walk in and teach a class um over your tenure
1: well you 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 already have the answer to that question i mean you already know it's the craziest craziest times of art that our society has had and so you know uh september 11 was a pretty big one uh, of course the uh the most horrific spring semester uh, the shooting was pretty horrific uh, and memorable, and I was on my way to class. Is that The bizarre thing is, is I was on my way to teach class when both of those events occurred. It is amazing when you start to step back and look at your own life and take perspective. You're like, wow, I, uh, for every major thing that's in America or Virginia Tech for the last 25 years, I was on my way to a class when they occurred. I don't even know what to make of that. It's just this, my life is so woven into teaching that it's indistinguishable anymore. So, you know, I don't know that that many people are that blessed that I am that you're tied to a place for long enough and you're tied to a profession where it it defines you and it accentuates your life experience for good times and bad. Uh, And so when I think about any major event that's happened in America or Virginia Tech uh, for the greater, you know, the vast majority of my adult life now it's been Virginia Tech. And I, I, I I'm a little bit in awe of my own life sometimes of how great it has been and how great Virginia Tech has been to me and how, important it's been to the definition of my actual existence and that's some pretty heavy stuff I just said but it is what it is and you know I've had in my classrooms over 50 I don't know 60,000 students I we tally it up every five or ten years of how many people have been in our courses and I think about the impact that Virginia Tech has had on me and the impact I've had on Virginia Tech students and Honestly, if I were to kick the bucket right this second, I'm fine. I mean, I've lived as, as good as I could and done as much as I could, and I've had as much positive impact given to me, and I've tried to give it all back to Virginia Tech, and I'm really happy with where I'm at right now. The, uh, I wanted to spin that into a positive note because, of course, the times you remember are always the worst times. Uh especially given that we're at a on a college campus and our college campus has had a specific, really horrific time. So I just, uh, I spent it in the positive. Like it's such a great community to have spent pretty much my life in and it's not over yet. I hope, I think I've got some other work to do. (laughs) And then we'll be here that I'll be uh, talking about this with some folks just like you, or maybe you guys exactly 10 years from now, we'll be talking about how COVID uh, uh, changed teaching and what I was
2: doing at the time. And complaining about the next social media platform. Maybe we're oh complaining about TikTok God. 10 years from now. TikTok. Oh my God.
0: <laughs> how, how is it taking so long? So Professor Boyer, this has been a ton of fun. And uh, really, again, like I said at the beginning, I've had some flashbacks and now like, I feel like I'm I've put the harness down and I'm in your class just enjoying it. But uh, we got to wrap things up here and we always wrap up with shout outs. So if you have uh, any events going on, any people you want to shout out, anything you got going on, here's your opportunity to plug it, whether it's, uh, you know, anyone at tech or in Blacksburg or the Wine Lab. Oh, no, no.
1: You guys give all the shout outs you want. I mean, yeah, of course I give out the shout out to all the good peeps. I got working at Wine Lab, Blacksburg Wine Lab. They're, we have such a great crew there. They're all awesome. Uh, Jim. Net is our general manager. She makes everything happen. I got to give a shout out to my number one cohort in all crimes for the last decade. And that's Katie Pritchard, who was the probably the TA for the class when you all took it. She certainly was the <laughs> technology guru that made it all happen. She's the one that's pushed me to do all of these things in the last 10 years. Of like, yeah, you should teach in Burris. You should teach. You should do Twitter. You should teach online. I'm like, all right. I mean, so you have... Uh, one should. I, I hope all other humans are as blessed as I am of having somebody in your life that pushes you. So Katie's uh, always been there uh, for me, and there's, you know, the whole hokey nation. I, you know, there's, there's so many people that I'm so thankful to at Virginia Tech and in general. It goes without saying it's all of them. The shout out is to B-Berg. The shout out is to Virginia Tech. The shout out is to the Hokie Nation, wherever you are, whether it's at Virginia Tech or Blacksburg or the wider world, which I have traveled the wider world. And the most hilarious thing about uh, the Hokie Nation is the resilience and the absolute positive Nature that all of them have everywhere in the world, and I have been in so many places that people have walked up on the street to me, cold, and be like, "Boyer, hokies, don't <laughs> <took your> class." <laughs> I, I, I was, I got hit up in Singapore by a hokie. I got hit up on the streets of Melbourne one time. Somebody's out of the is like, "Yeah, hokies." I'm like, "Really? <laughs> what?" Uh, two different times I've been in Nowheresville in Europe. Uh, one time we were doing it, we were in Rome on some historical tour somewhere and a group of like 10 stu- Hokie students walked up and like, <laughs> like, dude, we're not even on the same continent that Virginia Tech is on. Uh, I have been shouted out in probably upwards of 20 different countries on planet earth by Hokies. And it's always the most greatest, hilarious, uplifting feeling where it's just like instant joy and party when people shout out to each other and I know that every university has that sense of camaraderie but I've talked to other universities I've talked to other people I've worked at other universities and people like no Virginia Tech's different Virginia Hokies are different somehow you know people are in Oklahoma are excited about football and they go crazy about sooner football but Hokie people are like, nope, they'll do anything and any amount of joy will be raged out in any circumstance, anywhere that Hokies come across each other out
2: in the whole entire wider world. It's just awesome. So that's my shout out. That was fantastic. Well, Professor Boyer, thank you so much. And that's why we do this podcast to connect uh, Hokies across the world and shine a light on uh, some of the t- uh, extremely talented people that make Virginia Tech so special. And you're one of those people. So thank you. And we got to get together and have some wine sometime at the Wine Lab, uh, and uh, definitely do this again. We had uh, we had a ton of fun.
1: You know it, brothers? The first five rounds are on me. Then you're on your own. <laughs> All right, holding <laughs> you to
2: that. <laughs> <laughs> Take care, Mister Boyer.
1: Party on.
0: Try you-